Hello, and welcome to the El Camino Insider Podcast, episode two. I'm Chris McCaleb. I'm an editor on Better Call Saul, and uh, you probably know that because this, is, I, I think, is probably in the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast podcast feed. This is the second of these podcasts that we're doing about the movie, and uh, this one we're going to focus, the first one we focus more on production, the second one we're going to focus more on the post-production process. And so it's, we got a lot to talk about, so let's just get started right away. We got... We're going to introduce people quickly, the 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 master of ceremonies, writer-director Vince Gilligan. You're the master of ceremonies, but thank you very much, Chris. Excellent job. Thank you for uh, for doing, for hosting this thing, man. Oh, thanks for having me. And uh, But yeah, let's just go around the table. We have uh, executive producer Diane Mercer. Hi, Chris. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for doing everything that you do, Diane, uh, also is uh, on Better Call Saul and from Breaking Bad, and she is who makes post-production happen she makes the show come together and uh, no, she's wonderful no kidding we could <laughs> not do breaking bad or better call saul or el camino without her absolutely true thank uh, you another person we couldn't do without is co-producer jen carroll yay thank you chris thank Excited you to be here how many times have you been on this podcast not the el camino podcast of course but the saul breaking bad i think i've been on the breaking bad podcast at least once and the Better Call Saul one, maybe two or three times. And low-key, you are on all of them because you're in the other room, just, you know, <laughs> giving me information. Sometimes you're like, hey, the next podcast is supposed to start right now. So She's producing them. Yeah, she's yeah. producing. You're putting them together. You're getting the guests. You're making these things. These, this podcast you are listening to would not exist if Jen had oh. not made it happen and, and she's the it. only one of us without a spit shield i have to point that out again <laughs> very very professional she like is. you said i'm just more evolved yeah. than, she is. than she the is. rest of the folks here more, thank you very more much self control uh, and I'm, I'm i'm just going straight around the table uh he's on the wheels of steel he's the first assistant editor on this movie uh he also designed the teaser poster he most certainly he did, did. Uh, which I think we talked about in the last podcast, I but, think we did. but uh, it did happen in post-production. He's Joey Reinish. Hello, Chris. Yay, Joey Reinish. Happy to be here. Moving along the table, we have a man. I, he's giving me an eye. He's, you're looking at me like, don't you fucking <laughs> fuck this up. Uh, you know his music from a million different things, including Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad and his phenomenal score for this movie. It's Dave Porter. Hi, uh, Chris. Hello. Hey, Thanks. Did I, did I pronounce that right? Did I get one of these names right on the first take? You did. I appreciate that. Uh, we also have the editor of this film and of Better Call Saul and of Breaking Bad, Skip McDonald. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Uh, nice to be involved. It's yeah. great to have you. Yay, yeah, Skip. Hey, Skip. Skip's Skip, debut you, movie? That's I was going to yes. say. This yeah. is your first feature. No. Yes? Yes. Seriously? Yes. Wow. As editor. As editor. Yeah. He's worked yeah. on other worked, features. I did not know that. Yeah, this is my first. Wow. It's great. Thank you very much, Vince. Thank oh. you. <laughs> I mean, that's making a me look good. It's a pretty good one to debut. Yes. Oh, man. And uh, Dave, not only are you going to have to tell me your, because I'm sure I have a list, but you tell me to tell me how to pronounce your last name and tell me your title. Because I'm not going to blow it this time. <laughs> I am Dave Cole, and my title on the film is Supervising and Lead Digital Colorist. You heard it from the man himself. <laughs> it's <laughs> Dave Cole. Dave, yay, Dave. Yes. And, <laughs> Dave, and, and it just so, because that's a, that's, a, that's a mouthful. Supervising 
and, and lead. lead digital colorist. Yes. Explain a little bit about what that means, because when you shoot something, you don't just put it on TV, right? Or you don't just put it on a film uh, screen. You don't just shoot it, it goes right up there. No, so the, the role of a colorist at its very simplest is to bring continuity to the photography, because as everyone probably knows, things aren't shot in sequence. They're shot over a period of time especially when you're outside, there's weather conditions you have to deal with. So it's our job to, at the very least, make all of the photography seamless so it does seem like it's all of a piece and at the same time. But then on top of that, we can create mood, uh, change times of day, you know, just just do a lot when it comes to color and manipulating the image. That's Yeah, and I know you guys talked a lot about this because when we're working on a, a TV show, we... We, I mean, we've worked with some some really fantastic colorists, but you never have the time to really dig into the image and to really shape it and and create the. Talk a little bit about that process, uh, everybody. I mean, you know, this is there are a few things to talk about. One of of the differences between feature color and television color, and also Dolby Vision. This movie was an HDR. I mean, it's a whole. It's a whole new world. It's the Wild West, you guys. Well, I mean, I, you know, for for me, starting putting this together, because this is my first feature as well, the the lucky thing for us, I think, is because it, it was for Netflix. It, it was kind of like we were doing it for TV, too. So there was a lot of things that were consistent with what I was used to. But um, um, the hardest thing was like, well, how much time do we need, you know? I don't know. Right. <laughs> I'd never done this before. So uh, so I actually, I had a probably hour-long conversation with uh, Jason Pelham, who was our uh, in-house producer over at Photochem, you know, when we were first setting this all up. And he was absolutely invaluable because he's done a t I mean, he's done a ton of movies over the years. And he's he, he really knows, you know, how to make it um, work for the filmmakers. So we originally talked about, you know, there's 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 like a process of how people want you to 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 handle it, right? They want you to do the HDR first, and then they want you to do the SDR. Now, HDR is high dynamic range, which is something that is available on Netflix. If you're streaming in 4K, you can view um, the the movie in high dynamic range. Um, then there's standard dyna dynamic range, which if you are watching it on a an iPad or, I mean, some of the iPads now, I guess, are, are HDR, but, you know. It, it, most it's, HDTVs, right? Most HDTVs and, and, and mo most kind of consumer, you know, televisions. Um, and then there's the theatrical version, which is also entirely different. And Dave can certainly speak to this in terms of, like, uh, the levels of brightness that are accessible to you and, and, and how you're presenting it in a in a darkened room where your projection point is distant from the screen versus watching it on a, a television where your projection point is the screen. Um, and the, the best thing we did was do the feature version first, which is the exact opposite of how the tech people want you to do it. Why was that better? Uh, because we had never done HDR before. I mean, this was our introduction to that format. Um, better Call Saul and Breaking Bad were not done in HDR. And it is really, really different. Um, and you have to train your eye of how to how to see things that way. And it's a wonderful it's a wonderful tool. But when you don't know uh, how it works and you are very used to seeing your dailies a certain way, and that's how you've been living with the footage while you were editing, to go into an HDR suite right off the bat 
would be shocking. You just wouldn't really know what you were looking at. And, and it, it changes your perception of the image. So for us, the best way to do it was to do the theatrical version first, because that was what we had in mind when we shot it. Right. That is what we were expecting to see. Um, and then from there, we went and did the HDR version and then the other versions that are like, you know, derived from that. And, and Dave and, and, and uh, Diane, uh, explain a little more about, because it took me, I can't even explain, I see the difference. And if you were, if you don't know, if you're listening to this, you don't know the difference between HD, these are all new words to you. If you saw it, you'd know immediately there was a giant difference. Explain it in words here, what the difference is to these guys who may not know about it. Okay, so standard dynamic range is how we've traditionally watched TV and movies for, for years. So you have a value of where your black sits and a value where your maximum white is. And that that's a dynamic range. So the intensity of that white has a measurable value. The difference between HDR on a, on a TV and SDR can be, depending on the TV, anywhere between six times, 10 times, 40 times brighter than a traditional SDR TV. How does that not blind us? It can. 40 times brighter. <laughs> it absolutely, it, it really can. I mean, it, it's it's bright. Um, so the whole idea with HDR and is not to make a super bright image. The image is to embrace dynamic range. So when things are bright, they feel bright. When they are dark, they feel dark and you can read into the blacks. And so HDR allows us to have a lot more nuanced image. The idea is the bulk of the image, so like where people are exposed in the frame, sits around the same level that it always has, but you can keep on going up and up and up. So what's wonderful is like if you have like skies with cumulus clouds or things like that, the clouds can have all the richness of the detail. The sky can keep its color because traditionally you need to make things brighter in SDR to make it have contrast. But as you approach 100%, all of the channels mix together and it becomes white. In HDR, because our maximum white point is so much higher, we can keep color the whole way through. And so it really gives you a far greater palette to work with and also HDR can have a bigger color space meaning the possible colors you can show are increased and what does that do for the viewer like well how does that affect for you Vince like how what does that how does that affect you emotionally or how does that affect your experience of watching the story I mean I was affected emotionally by Diane uh, uh, talking about it before I ever saw this Diane was saying I don't, I don't know about this new thing. We, we both, she and I both were talking about, oh man, they're making us do, it's like, you know, no, it's going to be 3D next. And then they're going to make us do smell-o-vision. And then they're <laughs> adding on all this shit we got to do. Oh man, so this we movie were, would stink. We're old. <laughs> smell-o-vision? This, this Yikes. and I are very old. Very old, old school. Yeah. old school. You're old school. I'm just playing old. But, but, uh, but I, I, yeah, you were not excited about this. I, I wasn't. I mean, I had seen some tests um, early, you know, we, we looked at, you know, we, we talked about it for Better Call Saul because, um, you know, I think the, the industry is moving that way. And obviously on AMC, it would not air that way, but the show does air on Netflix in other countries. And, um, but it was, it was just so different. And to me, and, and I had to learn, I had to learn what was beautiful about it because when I first was introduced to it, it just was too much. And it, it and it's like just like any tool, 
the taste of the artist who is who is doing the work is the most important thing. It can be really overdone. Um, I do think you have to take greater care with your actors. I mean, it, there's so much detail that you see in the image that it, it, it can be challenging to, to make people um, look the way movie stars should look. Yeah, guess, unflattering to actors yeah. it can be. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the best way I can kind of describe the difference once I kind of like figured out what it is, and I think to me it, it does capture more of what your eye actually sees versus a standard, you know, dynamic range image. So, like, if you are outside in bright sun and there's a, uh, there's a car, and generally cars are shiny and bright, and sometimes you'll see a, a highlight on a car that hurts your eye a little bit to see it. You can accomplish that feeling with HDR on your TV, um, which you cannot do to the same degree with a standard dynamic range. But, and the highlights are interesting, but to me the more interesting side of it is is the low lights, the darks, because you, you really can keep all of that detail. And this is a very dark movie. I yeah, mean, it takes yeah. place a lot at night and we're in, you know, inside interiors and, he, you know, when he's searching the apartment, he's going into the closet and in the, in the high dynamic range image, there's a great shot of when Casey first gets when Neil and Casey first get to the apartment, and uh, we don't know where. Um, I almost called him Ernie. We don't know where Jesse is, um, and there's this shot from inside, you know, Todd's closet, and Casey walks, you know, past the door and stops in the door frame there. And in the standard dynamic range, you get the sense that there's some stuff in the closet, but like in the high dynamic range, you can see, you know more much more definition of what's inside there um and and the the image overall just has so much more detail it's really beautiful absolutely and and i wanted to include diane in that answer I, the, the short answer to your question chris is i love hdr now but just like diane said you it's the devil's in the details and you got to have a real artist doing the uh the color grading and that's where dave comes in and and if it weren't for dave i mean that Dave's the secret sauce, not not the HDR, but having the this extra these extra tools in the toolbox. Ultimately, I love it. I, I'm I'm all for it. I was reluctant at first, but I'm all for it, provided you have the right artist, not just jamming the the levels all the way up and all the way down. And 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 like Diane said, that that it really works. The best part of it is the is the range down into the blacks. And and the best scene uh, that uh, that evidences that for me is the scene when uh, just off the top of my head is the scene when Jesse is in the pit, uh, held captive by Todd, and the uh, uh, tarp is over the top of the pit, and and it's and it's dark, but you can see into the darks in the HDR, and then uh, the the wind, the breeze flaps the tarp, and there's a little blast of light, and that little blast of light almost makes you squint because of this. Uh, HDR and and the way uh, Dave graded it, it's uh, unlike 3D, which I, I just loathe. I don't think HDR is just a gimmick. I think if you have the right person uh, in charge of it, it it is it is value added. I love it. Yeah, and and just continuing on that example of Jesse in the pit, we really played up to it when we did do the um like the the video master, which goes that's these values are are, are in nits, so they're it's nits a, nits. 
Yeah, so or like, candela meter squared, depending. There's, oh, but man, yes. we're really getting into <laughs> yeah. the weeds. Yeah. What, is, what, is, what does NIT stand for? It's just, it's just a it's just a, a so like like a short a measurement uh, like it's sound it's decibels yes and in length it's centimeters or inches yes nit so, a nit is the unit of measurement of light it's a there, there's various different ones but that is a one and it's like a um a metric um thing so you know it's like uh, divisible by ten that that kind of thing because there's also logarithmic ones and all that but if you uh, the, at the theater, you're normally at 48 nits or 48, 48. candela meter squared. Yes. A TV, a standard TV is 100. Most HDR sets that you can get at home are between 400 and 1,000, but we master for 4,000. Jesus. And our, so, and so, oh, sorry, Jen. I would say on our first day in the HDR Bay, we made Dave show us what the full. Was it a thousand nits? Four thousand. Four thousand nits. Four thousand. A full screen of four thousand nits, and it was like being in the center of a lightning strike. I, I did not you look would... at the screen. I turned around and yeah, looked yeah. at all of them, and oh, then I turned it off. <laughs> now, is it true that you took a magnifying glass and you burned a bunch of bugs <laughs> with that screen? Yeah. But That's what, messed up. Yeah, but what we did with that scene uh, with Jesse down in the pit is when Todd rips the the um, the top off the top of the the pit we actually force the audience to iris so physically iris traditionally you don't because we don't have the brightness so you 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 cheat things in here we really cranked it up so the audience was feeling that same intense brightness that jesse did because he's been down there for we don't know how long without seeing actual daylight so we do that and we really burn it and you see jesse getting used to the levels so we get used to the level so we actually backed it back through the entire shot so by the end of the shot we're at a comfortable viewing um level but we did do it so that the audience would really feel what jesse was feeling so it really is it's extending the storytelling you're using the. It's, the it's, it's another. Image. It's another new tool that you can use to to put your your, your audience into the story a that's, little bit deeper. That's yeah. really. I I remember. I mean, the the obviously the the you really feel like you're in it with the movie. Uh, I remember. I don't know if we talked about this last time, but when I saw the movie for the first time, and it was in a Dolby Vision screen. Did we talk about that? I, that it was in the Dolby. It was in Dolby Vision, which is their their hdr or their what is what how i guess it's i mean i guess it, it's sort of like the a theatrical it's the theatrical version it's the best it's the it's the best they can do in a theatrical setting right now to 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 get to hdr and it's what is God. it 110? That, that's a hundred hundred and eight nits so that's a little bit more than a standard tv and double what a traditional theater right is. however in a theater, you're in a blackened environment. So apart from maybe exit signs or whatever, it's dark and the screen is big, so it fills your your field of view. So that brightness is way more because the contrast is becomes amplified in that realm. Where you're on when you're watching a TV, the TV is only filling up thirty percent of your screen. You have ambient light, so it's it's a different experience. So seeing even though that number is lower. Compared to traditional film, it's amazing, yeah. and the blacks oh are almost pure black. It's That's amazing. what I remember. Yeah, is me too. They they showed that that um, like demo reel yeah. right. before the movie, and they they're saying like, oh, and by the way, 
You thought that was black? No, no. This is black. And it goes boom. And it goes to just pure black. It's like staring into like your soul, like a black, into like a black, because black is your soul. Maybe your soul. Into my soul, I guess. Yeah. I'm a broken, I'm a broken individual. Um, But it was, it was, it was. It's amazing. You feel it in your stomach. Like, holy shit, that's that's dark. This is scary. I was afraid. Um, And then suddenly when that happens, you say, what are these two giant red glowing things blasting me in the eyes? Oh, wait, they're the exit signs. (laughs) You can't. It makes me wish you could turn them off, but that's a legal thing. It was pretty. It was it was really it was visceral. And so um, the scene in the pit with Todd and and Jesse, that that also makes me think of the fact that unlike the, the show Breaking Bad or with Better Call Saul, we mix this show in Atmos, Dolby Atmos, which I know provides a lot of different challenges. Now, what is Dolby Atmos? It's a new you know, newish format that's primarily in movie theaters, but they are doing a home version, which I know less about. We have not, I've not had, I'm not sure exactly how those speakers work, but in a theater, um, they construct the, the sound system based on the size of the room and the shape of the room. And so depending on where you are, I mean, sometimes there's 75 speakers in there. Now that seems like too many, Diane. <laughs> it seems like you just need I the one, I think the room right? we Is were in, uh, for the premiere, like the big premiere in, in Westwood, that I believe that had something like 70 speakers in That's it. That's amazing. Like that. It's like Nigel Tufnell from Spinal Tap is in charge of, <laughs> of putting the speakers in. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they all go to 11. But oh. it's awesome, and, and, and you get to hear sound coming from directly overhead now with Atmos. Yeah. It's and you can move it through the room in yeah. a way that is you know, much more um, intimate and detailed versus just this, you know, a seven one or a five one surround system. You 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 have you they I'm not totally up on all the, the technical terms, but they, they instead of thinking of things in channels like your front right, your front left, your center, your left surround, your subwoofer, it's they're objects and they place them all over the room. So you can actually like if you were say you had a scene in like a big hangar, airplane hangar or something. I mean, I actually think I'm thinking of the scene um, last season in Better Call Saul when um, Gus brings Mike into the um, the hangar where the Germans are going to live. And the way we played that on the mix stage was to we turned on the lights from one side and then we turned them on, you know, in 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 tiers as 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 mm-hmm. we revealed the room. So in an Atmos room, you could actually have them be right overhead. You could hear the lights turn on so right overhead the and then they could move through the room, uh, through the various speakers over your head and you could feel it completely around you. I remember feeling that in the pit. We could, the, yeah. And that, that was actually one of my was favorite of, things that we did on, in yeah. the mix there is we, we, we really went for it and we put Todd's voice in Jesse's perspective. So we put the voice up above instead of in the center, which even when you're doing, you know, a big surround mix like this, you usually tend to keep the dialogue in the center because that's where people are used to hearing it from. And that's where, um, it's the, it's the cleanest, you know, way to, to make sure that everybody can understand what people are saying. But, but for that scene, we really wanted to try something different. And so we, we put Todd up there, we put the tarp up there. Um, we put some of the backgrounds up there so that like the pit sound where Jesse was felt different than up above where Todd was. And I think in, in the in the theatrical version, I think it worked really, really well. It's awesome. There's one area, though, where Atmos may, 
it's wonderful for sound effects. It's wonderful for world building in terms of uh, the ambient sounds. But there's one area, Dave Porter, perhaps, where, what do you think? Is it good for music? Uh, you know, I think there's a, th- a thread developing in this conversation. It's that, you know, we're we're all about embracing these new technologies with a, a healthy dose of second guessing them, you know, and, and it's, also it's skepticism, skepticism I think a little is, yeah. skepticism is not a bad thing. And um, and also conservatism. I think, you know, it, 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 the possibilities for these technologies are astounding. Um, are they necessary? Are they helpful to telling the story? Um, are they really a, a positive in terms of, a, you know, a, a viewing experience or, or are they distracting? And, uh, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, score and music uh, is very, very different from, for example, sound design or sound effects. If you're out in the desert with Todd and Jesse, um, you know, that, that ability in Atmos to be very submersed in it uh, is a powerful thing. It is. But that's not, generally speaking, how humans listen to music. Yeah. Right? If you go to a concert or you're listening in front of your stereo or, or you're listening to someone sing in front of you, it is directional on purpose. And it is focused, generally speaking, if you're paying attention to it and it's important that you're paying attention to it, it's in front of you. So, you know, the, the Atmos thing, I think it's got possibilities for music if they're very, very carefully uh, managed, um, but they can also very quickly be distracting and put music in places and make it feel, um, make it stick out. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, as a composer, I think 90% of the time we're working so hard to not have you notice yeah. specifically what we're doing yeah. that we want you we want you engrossed in the, in the story. Yeah. The Atmos thing is especially tricky because it's just new. It's very new. Yeah. Um, there aren't that many Atmos recording studios. Mm-hmm. There are at most mixed stages, but places where, for example, there was no opportunity for me uh, financially, realistically, to go somewhere and prepare my music in Atmos to show up at the dip stage with my music having been mixed in Atmos. So therein already lies a rub because I'm, there's some translation that has to occur right. from, from a traditional surround system uh into atmos which to be honest i did not find smooth you know and i think there's some kinks there that that have to get that worked out Uh, maybe there's just more i need to learn or maybe there's more that needs to be done in terms of the translation and how it works but and there are obviously too with music there's just different moments where you hope music does different things and again it comes back to often what role the music is playing in in the storytelling and and the, and the experience those moments that are very kind of atmospheric and washy and blend in specifically with the sound design sound better when they're immersive like that mm-hmm. but um our score for breaking bad and saul and this whole universe has always been a little of that but an awful lot of pretty visceral punchy stuff yeah that if it gets if it starts to feel uh anywhere but focused it loses that drive Mm -hmm. it loses that intensity 
um, that we work so hard to get to. Um, so, you know, look, these are all amazing tools to have. Um, you know, will Atmos stick around and will it be a, you know, a thing? Probably, but I think there's going to be, you know, I don't think it's 3D of, of sound. I don't think it's quad mm-hmm. <laughs> of sound, but I, but, but I think there's a lot that, that, or people are going to have to learn. Yeah. And it's just like any, just like when music moved to CDs and when it moved to this, this, there's a whole process that everybody, the whole entire, you know, how everybody thinks about how to work with all these things has to adapt. And it just doesn't happen that quickly. So it's just in general, in my estimation, it's always safer to be conservative, yeah. which I always was even before. I mean, in any surround environment, I've always been very very conservative with how much music is behind you and you mm-hmm. have to take you just have to take charge i mean i know this is kind of what you do everywhere you go is you, you can't just like give your turn your stuff over to the mixers and and hope it's going to be all right like you you have to be very specific about where you want things placed and 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 telling them how you want them to to, to mix it in these various formats. right because if you think about it there's really very two very different stages of that of the mixing of that right and the music itself gets mixed exactly and an enormous amount of time gets yeah. spent and a lot of thought process goes into sure. of yeah. course uh, why is the you know distorted triangle it 85 degrees to the left it's there for a reason probably maybe because there's dialogue on the right you know there's there's always a reason for how all these things get get played out and so and on a on a tv and this is a difference tv to film too right i mean in tv there's not a lot of time to muck around on the mix stage for these things so music is it's very important to present your music well and ready to go in film typically they are more often to go to the stems which means they're going to more often do a little mixing of their own Mm -hmm. um never a composer's favorite thing but it's a reality (laughs) of how how it goes um and so yeah you have to you know composers have to be present they have to be you know have a voice and and we we rely on our music editors who are on the stage every day to also have an ear and and uh and have a viewpoint and and advocate for the score and that's that's how it's you know typically been done how, how was your process different uh for the movie as opposed to i love i told you i love the music the score is so awesome much. Oh, thank you. it's so great so good so much yes. fun to do you know i i, I think i uh, know you've hit this on, on on almost every level but just the time having that time is just such a blessing, and and we and we know it's a blessing because we know we know what it's like <laughs> what to not like have to, it, to not yeah. have it, which we usually don't, you know. And we still do great stuff at every level of these shows when we don't have the time. Uh, but I was determined uh, to use the time that I had. It uh, I threw out more music for this movie than I than I've thrown out probably in the entirety of all of you know, Saul and Breaking Bad. Seriously? Just because, wow. yeah, because of time. Stuff we didn't even hear. You even. never heard. Wow. Right? Yeah. Experiments that, you know, never saw the light of day. Wow. Um, and you can't quantify exactly how that helps, except that there's just a confidence, I think, in in having taken so many of the wrong yeah. roads. Yeah. Not wrong, but yeah. roads yeah. That, that weren't the right, exactly the right roads. Yeah. Um, that you feel when you get to the end point, having known that you tried all these different things, yeah. um, in what you end up with, yeah, yeah. because because you, you've had all had that time, mm. 
so that was part of it for me. I mean, I don't think, um, you know, we, I certainly did experiment with stylistically a lot of very different stuff than we have done. And in the end, it never felt, most of it didn't feel like our universe and it didn't feel right. Um, what kind of stuff? Oh, I, I tried everything. I tried big orchestral stuff. I tried, you know, very spare stuff and everything in between at different times in the movie. Some of it, honestly, just for my own edification and, and some of it um, was, was legit. Well, I wonder if this will work, you know. But we have a long and invested uh, feeling and relationship with the score for these shows. And El Camino, while it's certainly its own animal, um, has an important link to all that stuff. And one of the jobs of score is to link um, these different stories. And it's always been that way uh, in TV. We have, you know, a different director every week. We have uh, different, lots more characters, for example, that we're switching back and forth between than we do in the film. But score is is its most important role to me has always been um, that connective tissue. So I didn't want to stray too very very far. But there was a lot of stuff we got to do in the movie that I certainly never got to do in the TV show. Um, a lot of things that um, were live performed. Um, on the movie that I wouldn't have the time to do. It would have to be more computer performed for the TV show. Um, what kinds of stuff? Things, like what, what? Just like tons of the percussion stuff. Um, you know, I have huge libraries of, of stuff that I use and I've created myself over the years or that, uh, that I use on the TV shows. But because, and they're ready to go because I have to be ready to go because I have to write it. It has to be done on the, on the, film you know i could start with those but then say well this is 80 percent of what i would love this to be um but if i got this instrument in a room and i mucked around with it myself um i could get that extra 20 percent and that's just you know the joy of, of having the time and the money to, to do those things. Diane and I had the pleasure of seeing you at one of those percussion uh, oh. with very, very unique, one-of-a-kind instruments, like like the boom bam you've got to tell people about. Mm-hmm. And we saw you go to a different place like when you were doing loops um, on those instruments. It, it was really special to be able to see you working through your process and, and testing out these instruments in a way that I, you just don't have time to do on a TV schedule. It, it was really beautiful to watch. It was fun. It's just a, it's a blessing to be able to do that stuff. I mean, I was, of course, in the old days, that's how it was done, yeah. always. Yeah. Um, but there's just not isn't the time to, to do that. But those to, for any musician, I mean, the relationship with the instrument and be the ability to, to, to experiment, because that's, I mean, for me, um, 90% of what I do starts in improv. You know, it starts in, in, I mean, if you're an actor, it's like an improv class. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just mucking around um, using s- skills or lack thereof that I have on, on various instruments that I have available to me to get myself in some kind of headspace. Um, and it was, I was fortunate to have been able to have seen a lot of the movie by the time we had done that. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, while I didn't have it playing in the room, um, I was very much in a headspace of different parts of the movie while I was playing and, 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 and even in my head, I just knew certain instruments would eventually end up in certain places. Like the, the boom bam you referenced is this very interesting kind of, uh, mallet instrument made out of 
different sized pieces of bamboo with oh. with plastic like you can imagine like the the plastic top of a pringles can yeah on top of each hole and you can hit them with your hands or mallets oh. or sticks or whatever and it had a, a very sharp and um it was a dark and arresting quality but it also had this little tinge of weirdness or humor not dark humor in it like it was just a little funky and i just i had i had um badger and skinny pete in mind for that in that whole first act section and that's where that instrument ended up exclusively that's where it ends yeah, up. It did, right. did. yeah this is interesting what you just said i i i just picture you or any other film or tv composer just watching the scene over and over again and sitting there watching it. But you're saying you watch it, you sort of have it in your head, but then you don't have it playing when you well, start. Well, yeah, it, when I'm doing TV, yeah. I don't. It, you, the, it's the former. Okay, all right. You're yeah, watching I'm it because watching. Cause you got to get through it. It's got to yeah, yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah. But this was an inst- you know, instance where I just had a whole day yeah. to, to muck around um, with these instruments and was able to um, – I almost didn't want to have – I didn't want to think yeah. about it exactly, yeah, yeah. you know, in, 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 in any exact moment. I wanted yeah. to have the freedom of just being more gut with it. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, uh, so, and, and I, even I was astonished at how much of that stuff from that day ended up in, in the score, but an yeah, awful lot I, of it did. It was like percussion heaven in this place. It was this gigantic studio, historic place, you know. Yeah, where East West. It's called East West. It's in Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah, big, uh, big room. Yeah, enormous room and and just stuff everywhere. Just every kind of drum you can imagine, but you've never seen them before. They were all completely different. You know, not your standard stuff. There was there was a xylophone that was made of roof tiles, shale <laughs> shingles. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. was the giant? And then the, the big the big drum that was like a drum, the yeah. gong drum. Yeah. yeah, it looked like a gong, but it's it sounds like, like a drum. It's like the warehouse in Indiana Jones. They just <laughs> take everything up. Like it's like all musical yeah. instruments. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All or one of a kind. Jane. All one of a kind. And yeah. and and just and, and then they were you know, they were moving things in and out and Dave was playing on them and then oh, Yeah, man. no, it was incredible. Must have been like a kid in a candy store. Oh, yeah, so much fun. I mean <laughs> and you know, obviously the beauty of living in LA is just the the ability the resources. to have the resources yeah, for that kind yeah. of thing, you know. Yeah. The instruments, the all the different heritages and cultures that combine here, you know, and, and all of the instruments that end up here and the experts who play them or own them or make them and I mean it's it's pretty much you know, maybe New York is similar, but you know, it's it's pretty unparalleled. And then that gong drum is it's it's very prominently featured in the queue when Neil is coming down the hall mm-hmm. um, Ooh, to yeah. find That's right. uh, Casey's called for him to come down and, and he's and Jesse's got a gun on him and you hear this this big heavy drum yeah. as as you know he's when he stops right and you can't you just see his body right. stop that great yeah. shot you have that's I through that. the 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 counter through the through the through the kitchen and you just see uh, he's walking you just see him movie. stop you don't see his face it. and you hear that drum and then he comes around the corner and he's like yeah you know i mean it's just <laughs> it's so dramatic. hey lieutenant yeah exactly right. yeah. <laughs> oh. oh man one of my favorite things about dave's score is that sometimes i have no idea what type of instrument or what even genre of instrument it could be that you're using like the in the 
right before the shootout, there's this sound like an airplane winding up or, or something like that. And I, I was, I just oh, remember asking, what, what was that? It's so, it, it's, it feels so perfect for the score, but it doesn't even sound like it's an instrument. It feels like something that you found like in your house and then brought in and, and made this beautiful score with it. Yeah, I mean, it's something we've done going back to Breaking Bad, you know, in this, in this universe. So we've, we've just purposely shied away from, you know, the traditional. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with the traditional. Right. Um, but, uh, and I love writing for orchestra and, and, and more traditional things. But, you know, I think Vince's worlds that he's created here have always just, they've been so unexpected and they've, they've just felt like they've always deserved something that you can't quite pinpoint and and things are not what they seem and uh, i think that it all it all comes back around to 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 the the environment as a whole that that uh, vince created and will you talk a little bit about because i think one of the mo- most interesting things that vince you and dave kind of both agreed on was that um it was very important not to use the breaking bad theme in this movie it's true, yeah. I mean, I we we probably haven't talked about the Breaking Bad theme before. Then we did the movie. We probably hadn't talked about the Breaking Bad scene since season one of Breaking Bad. Yeah. But but yeah. you know the theme to at least in my my mind the theme to Breaking Bad that eighteen second thing that opens every episode of the series um, was Walter White. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and and while his shadow is certainly large. Yeah over everything that happens in El Camino. Yeah. Um, this is not his story. No. It was never his story. Right. Uh, and I realized, that, you know, very quickly into watching the first time we got to screen it with you, um, that there wasn't going to be a place for that. And in fact, there was there was not a lot of place for the music that I had used at any given point for Walt. Because yeah. um, his story is done here. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Well put. Yeah. 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 But what was you know, very different about the film too than the than working on the series either of the series is that and speaking of story is that this is one contiguous story for hour and however long you guys ended up being skip how long was it yeah. for about well, 45 minutes no it's almost exactly two hours yeah, yeah. Two for two with, hours with all the credits and yeah yeah, yeah. Right. uh whereas like you know on the tv show we were jumping back and forth between lots of different players yeah. this is very much jesse's story even yeah. though we're moving around in time a lot yeah. um it was one consecutive story which for me uh was another neat change and a fun experience because I, there's more time yeah. there's more time lent it's lent to this one particular story and i didn't spend a lot of time um writing music that not there's anything wrong with this but but writing music that was um connecting different storylines right. i was really following just one sequential one so you got to concentrate um perhaps in this uh project a little more on the emotion of the scenes rather than trying to, as you said, trying to use the music as connective tissue. Right. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, get, go a little deeper into the character. And, and obviously in this, you know, to, to, to get to the chance to explore the character of Jesse, someone we've yeah. looked at, you know, every week. And we're certainly, we explored with music at times, but he was never the focal point in the series. To get a chance to do that was new and, and, and a lot of fun. I love hearing all that. There's so much I've learned from doing these. I, that's interesting, just about... What what you're actually doing when you're when you're playing? I mean I mean I don't mean playing as in playing instruments, when, but when you're letting your imagination go, that's that's very interesting. Did did this uh, spoil you uh, for 
Are you going to be able to go back to – well, you already have. I already know the answer. Already, the TV there was way an of doing adjustment it. period. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. For us all. Uh, for all of us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only yeah. one. I'm sure for you too, Skip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How, <laughs> how, uh, now, how was, how was the process different for you? And, and were you editing on this sort of the traditional Avid? Or did you also get to go to a warehouse full of <laughs> – like ancient editorial <laughs> devices. I was in a very tiny, tiny room. You know? it's, it's our normal editing rooms and, and the typical Avid system, but it was, I had more time, right? which was the big luxury of being able to have the time to work on scenes a little more in depth than we normally do. And, uh, and then when it came time to work with Vince, we had a lot more time there to work with it also. Right. How long did you have for your cut, Skip? Because at, in, in television, we usually have a couple of days from the time that we get our foot last footage and we have to turn our cut in a couple of days later. Yeah. I, I think Diana Kirk my farm I had about a week. Yeah. I mean that's it, short. Well so for well, but, but but he was cutting the entire time. I mean it was sure. you know, yeah, for it, sure. Yeah, yeah. It was I mean I would have given him more time if he yeah. he needed it. But no. he had been kind of on top of it as we go. We weren't getting an insane amount of footage every day. No. You but, know? And I was I I felt I was always up to camera mm -hmm. as we yeah. were going through. So that last week was for me to put everything together and just make a couple of passes through and, and do the adjustments. And there was also, there was a little bit of downtime because the last week of shooting, we traveled to um, distant locations. So we weren't getting like dailies every day up yep. until the, the very end. We were just waiting on uh, those last couple of scenes. Yes. So, so he, he had a lot, he had a few extra days during that week to Got kind it. of keep fine tuning the, uh, yeah. the, uh, the rest of it. So, so it probably so, was more like two weeks, I guess. Yeah. Went, went two, yeah, two, like two and a half. Seven working days, yeah. eight working days, something yeah. like that. Yeah. But then the, the real difference then is working with the director and the director's cut and on television, an hour long thing, the director gets four days, which is not a lot of time. That is not very no, much time. No, no. And so with the feature, how long did you have before you you had to say, this is my cut, and we can take this out if you need to? No, you know what? I'm glad to be talking about this because I Netflix was very uh, uh, generous. They weren't squeezing our shoes, as they used to say on NY NYPD Blue, uh, for, for, you know, turn it over. We want to see it, which are the kind of horror stories I hear from so many directors when they're especially if, God forbid, if you're making a movie where they already know the release date before you even start shooting the thing. Right. There's nothing like that in this case, uh, right? There's nothing. They, they weren't pushing no, us. No, I think we... I think we had something like 20 weeks. Yeah, I was right, going to say because when it's we first a yeah, of I'm 10, actually right? trying to I'm yes. scrambling here trying to get my <laughs> So, but like the but. D, the DGA I know requirement for television is 4 days and for features right. it's 10 weeks. And you know the which thing, is this, yeah. like a crazy <laughs> disparity yes. between those. I, I love the way Clint Eastwood does it. I I, I love the, I love directors who are uh, John Ford or directors who really know have a plan know what they want to do and don't fuck around endlessly and i you know listen everyone has their process and and whatever it takes i mean if if if, if to make a great movie you need to stand on your head you know and you know uh, whatever it, it however you do it is however you do it but me personally when i got the opportunity to do this you know especially when it came to post-production when it came to the editing i didn't want to say okay now finally i get to you know i just want to sit around with a glass of cognac and just <laughs> just just riff on the emotions and then maybe a week or two from now we'll get to actually cutting i just wanted to get in there 
here and cut the damn thing. And, and Skip, yeah. Skip is such a pro, and and he and I worked together so long. I really, not only did I not see it as particularly different than doing an episode of TV, we were cutting in the same room. Skip cuts uh, episodes of uh, Better Call Saul in. There was no reason to go to some other facility just because we had the money. And I took it as a point of pride to, to get through it as quick as possible. And, in fact, one of our producers, uh, and God bless him, Mark Johnson, uh, who has done an awful lot of movies for, for a great many decades and is an excellent producer and has more movie experience than all the rest of us put together, uh, when it was time to watch that first director's cut, he said, I think you need to take more time. You have, this is a movie, it's not a TV show. And I said, I don't... And by the way, on that first one, that first one did need some work, and it needed, but it was it was it was time for everybody to look at it and give me their notes. And he was hoping too that you'd be able to step away from it for a minute because you can get so close to the cut that you can't see the forest for the trees anymore. Yeah. And that was the good part about doing the screenings for the producers and you know like close friends of the of the show who had read the script and who were familiar with the story and the world, and then. You showed a remarkable amount of discipline, you know, really demanding of yourself that you get the movie down to two hours. Even when our first cut was much longer, you weren't one of those people who was like, oh, no, every beautiful scene that I wrote has to be in this. You said, I want to make the best movie. I think movie should be about two hours long, no longer. And you were willing to take notes. Well, thank you. I, I think movies should be under two hours. I, I didn't get as far under two hours as I would have preferred. Mm. But but I thank you for saying that. I. Just, you know, you, you look around and you see all the movies out there. Some you like, some you don't like, some that are in the great gray middle where you say, God, this thing could have been shorter. And I didn't want to be guilty of that. Yeah, I just wanted to. But it was tough because we threw out some really tough, uh, wouldn't yeah. you say? We uh, we threw out some good stuff. We threw out whole scenes. Yeah, we threw out a lot of really great stuff, and it was a difficult choice at the time to make. What those. kind of stuff got thrown out? Are we allowed to talk about sure. it? Sure. Like the scene where, where Walt's still alive. <laughs> and that's canon. Would, that yeah. is canon. Yeah. <laughs> where where Walt, Walt wakes up on the floor of the of the, of the uh, Nazi lab, and it was all a dream. It just ah, it was only a flesh wound, and then it, oh. it runs out of there. It was a good call to change it to that radio, that news story Jesse's listening to instead. I think it was much, much more tasteful. Uh, in the last podcast, we talked about the how we cut down the Jane scene, right. um, mm-hmm. but maybe skip a talk about. We cut out what some scenes that I call the Ballad of Skinny Pete. Some of the the no, best. Uh, yeah, some uh, of the stuff of, of Skinny Pete when he's waiting for the police to show up at the house. I mean, that was just him talking about how he's going to lie to the police, what he's going to say, and then the SWAT team busts in and 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 arrests him. That was a great scene, but it was. But it was outside Jesse's point of view. And any moment that we were away from Jesse's point of view in the movie, we we sort of lost his propulsive energy because he's a man on the run and it's his movie. And as fantastic as those scenes were and... And, and we got so many compliments about that scene that Skip's talking about in particular, the screening, because the sound design was fantastic on it. And that was sound design tempted by Joey Reinish yes, here. That wasn't even our amazing Nick and Todd's um, supervising sound editors. Amazing yes. work. Um, we got so many compliments and then we had to cut it because it was the best thing for the movie. That one hurt. I couldn't. I, I'm glad you brought that up because we had the Rio Rancho SWAT team, the real guys with their real weapons and everything un- unloaded, of course. But they... They, the Rio Rancho SWAT team busts in and they throw a, uh, they drop, they, they battering ram the door in, Whoa. a skinny Pete, Pete's house, and then they drop a flashbang 
that goes kaboom, and yeah. that's that sound design uh, Jen's talking about. And then they come in, and it was awesome. And I, the worst part about it for me was cutting all those guys out of the movie. Are we going to be? A, I think you were saying it's like some like Charles Baker. It's like a it's like a showcase for him. He's fantastic. He's a great actor. Yeah. And He's really I, good in this actor. movie. Period. He's a great actor. Yeah. Is there? Yes. Is there ever going to be a way to see this stuff? We hope so. We have archived it. So if we do a Blu-ray release in the future or whatever magic home entertainment system there is when when it is possible for something to put out a, a DVD, uh, we have that and we have a gag reel edited by the fantastic Joey Reinish. Are you saying that, are you announcing that there's a new magic format? <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast exclusive. This is exciting. <laughs> um, Jen's developing it now. Yes. Beam it right into your brain. I know. I have a question for Skip, which is, when was the first time you watched the movie all the way through? Because you were editing scene by scene, but you had to yes. watch it through before we showed up in, in your editing bag. Yeah, I think it was it was probably about four or five days prior to you guys coming in, because I finally got all the footage and got it all assembled, and then uh, the Mr. Joey Reinish there sat down with me, and we watched it. And it was just, it was overwhelming at first, just because it's the first time we really saw it all put together, and it was much longer than the cut is now. It was, <laughs> I think the first cut, if I'm not mistaken, we were 245 or 250 right. in length. I remember talking to you after that first cut, and you said something like, oh, we have a version of the searching montage that's another seven minutes longer, but I don't think we should show that Oh, to my Vince. God. <laughs> yes, no, I, was, I put everything that we had into that, but then realizing that we couldn't do anything quite that long and, and cut it down by and a lot. Did you, I mean, normally with the, the TV show, we don't really, except in montages with songs, we don't really temp music in on this, on, on Saul or, or Breaking Bad. Right. Uh, did you temp music into the movie? Only in a couple of places, like into the montages like we did on the show, because on, on Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad, just because that's how Vince likes to work and, and it's, nice for me too because then I get to focus on the picture editing versus trying to make the music work with the picture and and that it was just focusing on the picture except for the montage stuff and and that also putting music in it helped me get it down by the seven minutes but it was still quite long that's very unusual to uh to show a movie to a director without any kind of temp music uh and I think it's great I think it's very refreshing. I like the way that we do it on this show. Yes, I agree. Uh, to trust that, A, that the the story can hold itself and that the moments can hold themselves. Yes. But B, that the composer is going to provide music in the in the spots that need music. And yes. that, that you can go in with sort of that fresh, that sort of, especially speaking to your process, that it's so improvisational. Sure, but it requires the confidence primarily of picture editors you guys have to be confident enough in your work to show it to your bosses without you know shiny music on there and and likewise all the way up the chain you know the director has to be able to look at it and visual you know concentrate on how it looks rather than how it's going to sound and just trust and know that the music will make it better later all the way up to the executives in in certain circumstances yeah. you know depending on how involved they are being able to watch without music is hard i hate temp music i mean it's just i don't think it's particularly courageous to to cut without it i think it makes a whole lot of sense when you think about it if if uh how are you going to know truly if your cut is working 
if you got temp music on it because the temp music may be spackling over things emotionally and and you know just you got to see it naked and it's all in its naked glory you know without the music otherwise how do you know that it's working so and then sure. the music's only going to make it better from that point right and you're watching it without color right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Same yeah. Thing. That's true. all that time you're yeah. showing it to people without the yeah. color and just saying hey it's going to be better yeah you're there there you're, there's always that layers right yeah. of yeah. that was like the speech i was giving everybody at every <laughs> right, screening right. i was giving that speech i was like okay the color's going to be even better than this i promise you this is not color time for a screening room it's not going to look like head will look different or you know talk about that a little bit rodeo um yeah no i mean we yeah we brought on um Charles Newworth, our amazing, amazing line producer, who yeah. has a ton of incredible feature film credits and is is just one of these guys who is a problem solver and a calm hand and is um, he's done Marvel movies and all kinds of great stuff. And he uh, helped us find a, a really solid, wonderful visual effects company for this, uh, which is Rodeo FX out of uh, Montreal, Canada. And um, Ara Kanikian, who's our incredible VFX supervisor. And, you know, when we started the movie, you know, when I read the script, we just really didn't think there was going to be a whole lot of visual effects. Um, Little did we know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's more than you think, but it's also not, you know, it's all it's all the stuff that I was that I kind of expected. You know, like we always do some cleanup in scenes where there's gunfire because sometimes squibs don't go off, or sometimes you can see the the pack in the shirt, or sometimes you know the blood isn't exactly what you hoped it would be. Or you or, can't see the muzzle flash. Or you can't sometimes see the muzzle flash. The camera just doesn't. Camera capture doesn't capture it. it so you have yeah. to yeah. add Half that. the time, actually, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, we knew we were going to blow up the candy welding shop and that that was going to be a visual effect. And we knew that the Nazi compound didn't exist anymore. <laughs> and right. so that was going to be a visual effect. Um, and then, of course, we just added, added and added and added. Um, one really important place where we didn't do visual effects, actually, which I want to just give a shout out to the, to the beauty of... Uh, of our final scene there, because that is 100% real, that last scene where yeah. uh, yes. where Jesse is driving uh, to freedom. We thought that was going to be visual effects to kind of create that environment, but that's all real. Where is that? That is in Wyoming. Wow. Yeah. So that's out of Jackson. That's, uh, yeah, that was our stand-in for Alaska. It's a, it's a beautiful place. Uh, so, and, and we didn't have to really do anything to it. It was just, it was just awesome <laughs> just as it was. Well, it was, so. I'll tell them specifically, it was awesome that you don't really see the Tetons or, the, the, or yeah. rather the distinctive shape of the Tetons because of the clouds. We got lucky with the weather that day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause like the, the, those mountains are very distinctive. So we thought we were going to have to change the shape to, to look like it was not that place. Um, but the clouds did us a favor that day and they just kind of rested just high enough <laughs> that you could see the beautiful mountain, the bottom of the mountain, and they obscured the top. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we didn't have to worry about that. But um, but yeah, so we, we shot the Owl Cafe scene, which mm -hmm. is uh, obviously our amazing scene with Walt and Jesse uh, reunited. That had to be shot in a... Um, urban environment because right. we had such limited time with brian cranston because of his i mean he was doing a play in new york yeah. we, we talked about the like um, secret service yeah. style so it, was, it was a major if you listen to, to the other one you know the story yeah. astounding. but yeah. um <laughs> but so uh, this scene that on the page looks like it's very simple turned out to be a, a massive vfx undertaking because every shot almost every shot 
Anything looking out those windows is a green screen. Which is most of the um, shots. Which is most yeah. of the shots. Yeah. Um, because we couldn't take Brian out to the middle of nowhere to, right. to, to film the scene. So they put up gigantic green screens outside the Owl Cafe, and we put the RV there to block, you know, some of the looking loose yeah, and yeah. and um and so, and then Christian our location manager found a great location that we put outside there uh, to make it look like they were remote in the desert coming back in from that famous episode 209 cook in the RV and so we saw the dailies and we were expecting to have a bunch of VFX in there but when we got the dailies in we the makeup for Walt was amazing yeah I mean Sherry Montesanto and the team at Canby who made that ball cap it's like the best ball cap I've ever best I've ever seen I mean the stubble on it and all of that was just incredible but there's one thing that you can't really do if a person is not going to shave their head, you can't actually remove the volume of hair that right. has to be hidden underneath the bald cap. So we had this kind of slightly misshapen alien head problem with Walt. So we actually did go in, and every time you see Walt, we have dig- digitally shrunk his head to make it look more like it should. Because that head, that bald head is iconic. Everybody knows yeah, what it looks yeah. like. Knows we couldn't shape. fake it. Yeah. You know, we're already fa- we're, we're faking it a little bit. I'm sorry, everyone, but there there were some constraints <laughs> with what we had to do. I mean, it's really just reshaping what was there. Yeah, the skin yeah. And texture and everything is there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and it doesn't look exactly the same as he did. I mean, he, you know, it's 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 it, but it looks. It looks pretty darn good. It's and, amazing. The, the Ara and his crew are magicians. I mean, because you gotta. Because everything is shrinking away, there's got to be something behind it. Mm-hmm. There's got to be the rest of the yeah. restaurant. I mean, I don't even know how, so in, in like, how they do it. In some respects, that did help us that it was green screen back there. Okay. Right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. we were replacing the background anyway. Yeah. But there's a lot of shots where, you know, we're, we're if we're shooting, you know, his close-up, there's people behind him, you know, in the booth and all of that. So all of that had to be dealt with. And are you coloring that stuff before it goes to visual effects? Are you... That was was actually an an interesting scene. It was probably maybe apart from the shootout, it was really the only scene where we did a lot of back 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 and and forth forth, with visual effects. And it was... One, it was just, you know, obviously seeing on the big screen what the, the Walt head fix looks like. But it was also just getting the levels outside because it was all, you know, it was green screen. So it was all put in. And especially with HDR, you know, you, you want it to be able to read in there. You want it to look realistic, but you don't want it to be distracting. And so once you put colour on it, that looks different to the dailies or the, or the footage. So we did do... A bit of um, you know around Robin a bit until we found it and we yeah, yeah. we liked it in the room and said okay this this is where we want it and then so when it came back to me it was just minor tweaks. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean that's where having somebody like Dave Cole is just absolutely invaluable because mm-hmm. number one he's got a ton of experience and he's done, worked on a bunch of like large visual effects movies where he deals with this all the time but he knows okay like the. The background should be like another couple of steps brighter in order for this to look correct in, in this room. And so th- having that feedback, you know, being able to go in, put the sh- put the shots up on the big screen, look at them with Dave and be like, yeah, this is good. They, they've, they've lit this. This is the right level outside. We want to be here on the inside and there on the outside so that it looks natural to your eye. So being able to get that feedback to Rodeo and then they would send us back, a, you know, an adjusted shot and it would be good. And then uh, we also had mats so that Dave could, um, since they've cut the mats to do the rotoscoping for to replace the background anyway, generally they would send us those shots with a, with a mat so that we could 
adjust the interiors slightly differently from the exteriors and that all that all helps to bring it together yeah and what's interesting with that with a lot of you know visual effects on a film like this it's all about making things integrate and look realistic however we're still telling a story so the first point where we land is does this look realistic Mm. Then we say, how does it affect the story? Is this distracting? Is that you know? Do we need to be more intimate? So there's rules, and then we break them. But we we had this like line in the sand. It's like okay, this if it was photographed, it would look like this. But now let's shape it and let's tell the story we need to tell. Yeah. You know, and, and and that's really the 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 job of color is like we will be fancy and we can we can make it very obvious what we're doing but it should always be to the service of the story. So if making it very obvious is to the service of the story, great. But if it's not, I mean, if, if it's all about seeing that twinkle in an eye, a teardrop or, yeah. you know, a wince, you know, like when Jesse's, you know, lying on the ground in, in the house where Casey and that have got him, you know, and the camera's in this impossible angle, you need to see that Winston just on the dark side of his face. You know, it's yeah. it's all about story. You know, no matter how pretty it can be, if it's not serving the story, we don't, we don't do it. And it's the same with the visual effects. So, like in that scene, there was like, yes, let's get it realistic, but then we might need to err uh, one way or the other right. to just. It's like it's about Walt and Jesse. It's not about this car driving past. No. You know? And totally. it's a very subtle thing that you don't realize is affecting you as a viewer. You know, like there's so many tools that we have, and that was again the beauty of having this time. I mean, because I mean, talk about Dave. How much? How many? How many hours or days did you spend on the vacuum store? Um, quite a bit. Uh, it was I. Th- I mean, there's a lot of beautiful stuff in this movie. Marshall, like, really shot it well. Like, my first pass on this movie went very quickly because it shot so well. And then it was, you know, it was just like David the Music. I kind of just riffed with the images in front of me. What felt right? No, yes, this, you know, I, I don't... Once I've done that technical pass, I don't really think. I just let it happen and see where it wants to go. But in the, um... The vacuum store, it seems such a simple location. It's like there's a counter, there's the doors where they walk in, you know, there's a couple of angles down the down the, the, the table, but it, it seems from an audience point of view very straightforward. I have so many windows and shapes all over that scene. I mean, it, it, we spend a lot of time, and I think it's it's the most beautiful scene it's, in it's the movie. It's one of my favorite things. In I the mean, whole you, movie. we've got painted yeah. desert and all this great oh, stuff, yeah. but, but I really <laughs> love that, and I love how Robert, how his face reads in that light, and just all this nuance that we did just to make, because a lot of it, the two guys aren't even always talking. Right. It's like you're the guy, you're the guy, and Robert, you know, he's just standing there just, you know, yeah. he's not he's yeah. not giving mostly, him anything. Yeah, mostly mostly and, not talking. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. mostly not talking, yeah, and right. he's not giving him anything, so we had to make sure that every, like, because he's acting is, is so good, and it's all in the eyes, and it's all in everything. It's like yeah. there can be no distraction except for this master class that we're seeing on the screen. So, you know, we, we spent a lot of time, and even just you know, in the distance looking out through the the doors, you could see through, especially in HDR, you know, when you're shooting, you you don't think you're going to see all this information. 
but it's there. I mean, these right. cameras capture it. Yeah. So, you know, we spent a lot of time just making sure that wasn't distracting. There was yeah. flags and yeah, things like that. Yeah, we like ended that. up freezing. You know? There's like uh, there's like a used car lot across the street that we couldn't see in the editing room. Yeah. Um, but once we got over into HDR and the big screen, there was a flapping sign, you know, sale sign in the back right behind Jesse's head. Yeah. And it was driving everybody nuts. So we had to freeze it, you know. I mean, just little things like that. All the little things to to just make it easier for the audience to to just be absorbed in the story. Yeah. And that scene, I think, is like, it looked really great in the dailies. Don't get me wrong. The dailies were gorgeous. But but it's at a whole other level after if, after it, you know, got through Dave's hands and we were finished with yeah, the I mean, final. The, I mean, the, it's, the whole it's, thing it's, is it's we, stunningly beautiful. We want to... I mean, everyone here, like editing, music, like everything, it's all about drawing the audience in, not pushing them away. Yeah. So if you at every moment can just pull that audience in just that little bit more, we're doing our job. Because if for some reason, some subliminal thing like a flapping flag pushes the audience out of the scene, you have to work really hard for the next five minutes to get it. Yeah. And true. you've now lost the scene. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So, you know, it's really important that distractions are... are minimized or yeah. removed so that the whole reason that the scene exists you know that's what is forefront and right. talk just for a second dave you said a minute ago this it had, you had a lot of windows and whatnot and people who don't know what you do who haven't who haven't sat in they're probably thinking yeah yeah that 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 set had a lot of windows but that's not the kind of window you're talking no, what, about what it, uh, windows yeah. is, a, is um, an expression that we use um, in coloring it's we can draw geometries on the screen so I can actually physically with a pen or a mouse but I use a pen because it's, it's a lot quicker but I can draw any shape that I want and I can draw an infinite number of shapes and how they react to each other and animate them using keyframe animation or tracking or just doing it by hand for every single frame and I can completely change how an image looks. Traditionally at a film lab like so how movies had been done was you could put more red, green, and blue, or cyan, magenta, yellow, because it's it's negative, yeah. like it's opposite colors. Um, overall, brighter, darker, that's it. In the digital realm, and it started actually in TV, so on video, and then it went to, to digital realm in the early 2000s. But we can manipulate, if we wanted to, every pixel that exists right. on the screen. And so by drawing these shapes or these windows, I can darken down distractions i can make a glint in an eye brighter i can if there's three people in the shot and an extra in the background i can make it that the audience doesn't look at the extra looks at the maybe not even the person who's talking but the reaction of the person they're talking to if that's where the story is leading us yeah. through you know darkening and, and shading and drawing the eye so a lot of what i do is direct that you know just like music or sound design can push an audience in a certain direction emotionally what we do in color can do the same thing so it it makes the audience read exactly what vince wants us to read instead of just saying here's a canvas take in everything and then hopefully you get the nuance right what i'm doing is saying look here look there this is beautiful you can look at it all but you will get the moments right yeah well, I hope you guys got plenty of moments. Um, well, I think mainly we learned that having more time and and using that time uh, with discipline, creatively, yeah, it, it can can really 
can, I mean, it, it pays off. It pays off in this movie, which, again, I, I love very much. Uh, and I wish we had more time. We don't. We have to go. Thank you guys so much for coming in and, and talking about these things, sharing your experiences and your expertise. And, uh, but yeah, and I, I, uh, I really appreciate everybody listening. And I hope, I hope this was as informative and educational for you as, as it has been for me and for Vince, apparently. Uh, as you said, yeah, <laughs> it was. I had a wonderful time making this movie. Thank you guys for listening. And I, it's something uh, Dave Cole just said a few minutes ago. It struck me that every person sitting at this table, whether they're uh, being producers, uh, which is to say Dan and Jen, or whether they're doing color, which is to say Dave, or editing, which is Skip, or composing the wonderful music, which is uh, Dave Porter, uh, they are all storytellers. Uh, everyone sitting at this table is a storyteller. Uh, except for Joey, who just, we keep along the lines. <laughs> no, and Joey, as assistant editor, is a storyteller, too. And everyone, I think that's an important point that Dave made to reinforce, is that there's been a lot of technical talk, a lot of technical talk on this podcast, which is the kind of stuff I love. And I imagine the folks who, who've made it all the way through to the end here love that kind of stuff, too. But don't, don't disappear up your own butt with the technicalities if you are a budding filmmaker know that they should only be in service to story, to character. They're just and tools. They're just, they're tools. just tools. They're just tools. Yeah, so that I think that I wanted to say that. Yeah, everything has to be driven by your your gut of telling the story. Yeah. Well, thank you guys very much. And uh, if you're fans of Better Call Saul, we'll see you next week for the first episode of the new season of the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast. Yay! All right! Yay. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Great job, Chris. Thank you.